It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 405 of Locked On Raptors for Sunday, October 28th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. And, of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, all 32 NFL teams. We've got a whole bunch of college shows for you as well, some MLB shows. Not the entire network full just yet, but lots of MLB shows for you to listen to if your team is... Uh, heading into an off-season of uh, turmoil and question marks like the Toronto Blue Jays, perhaps. Maybe you should check out the corresponding Locked On MLB show to get all the lowdown on that. And if you find a show on the network that you like, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. It's the best way to support the show. Also, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all the other places that I don't use, but I'm sure other people do use. So please make sure you're finding the podcast on your corresponding podcast carrier and uh, supporting it. It's the only thing we ask you to do. It's a free podcast across the network, so uh, the, the five seconds it takes to leave a little five-star review, it's, uh, it's very, very much appreciated. Uh, all right, on today's show, I'm joined by one of our favorites from CBSSports.com, formerly of Toronto, now of Brooklyn. It's uh, James oh, wow. Herbert. How's it going? <laughs> Wait, what was the accent you used to say the word Brooklyn? Man? I don't know. It was like a snooty Brooklyn accent. I don't know. But I Are guess... we snootier here than in Toronto? I, I haven't really noticed that. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably the, the like, you know pot kettle black all that stuff <laughs> yeah i feel like the rest of canada makes that like voice when they're describing toronto right like yeah. that was always how i sort of saw it oh i use that voice for toronto now too because i live in hamilton now so you know i'm a blue collar workaday fellow you live in hamilton now okay. <laughs> the art scene is actually booming here did you know oh okay <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, but I'm interested. That's very good. Yeah, no, Hamilton's cool. Um, Brooklyn's cool, too. And you're cool, too. Uh, we're glad to have I, you back you, on the show. You were also cool, my friend. Oh, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Uh, happy to have you back on the show. Uh, the reason that you're on the show today is because uh, the Raptors played the Milwaukee Bucks on Monday, and you wrote a great pre- great, piece, great piece breaking down why the Bucks are so awesome this season under Mike Budenholzer for CBSSports.com. So we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But first... Let's get your early season impressions on the Raptors. They are six and zero as well as the Bucks are. You uh, used to cover the Raptors. Now you're more of a league-wide generalist, but I'm sure you have more of a, uh, a, a leaning towards looking at the Raptors and thinking about the Raptors than most people in the states. So what? That's fair. What do you think? How, how are you liking it so far? I mean, I don't even think. Are there negatives? Like, how do I even criticize this team? They look incredible. I think they've been. Really, the two teams that are playing on Monday have been the two most impressive teams in the entire league so far, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that we sort of talked about over the summer about things that, like, Nick Nurse had said he was going to do or it's sort of alluded to or that, like, people had sort of hoped would happen with this team, like, they've all happened and they've all worked extraordinarily well. Like, mm-hmm. you, you watch this team and you're like, why didn't they, like, mix up the starting lineups 
um, for for years in terms of like if the other team was starting a burly center or starting like a, a stretch five or a four masquerading a fi- as a five or whatever. Like, why did Jonas have to start every single game? Like, mm-hmm. you're you're watching the way that they play so aggressively on both ends, push the pace as fast as possible, really taking advantage of the fact that they're so deep. Like, they've been deep for a while, but they, they weren't quite doing this. And then beyond all that, like, I mean, Kawhi Leonard has been as good as anybody could have hoped for, right? Like, if you're really stretching, you could say, like, maybe he's not quite as athletic as he was, like, three years ago when he'd have some, like, really spectacular highlight dunks every, every once in a while. But, like, honestly, like, the way that he's playing, like, he, he looks exactly the same to me. Like, he looks like an MVP candidate. Uh, he has established a really obvious pecking order um, that I think the Raptors haven't quite had in the same way. Um, like, you could, there's been a couple of games where he has just sort of taken over. And it, it's interesting to see the Raptors go into almost every game with the best player on the court. I think it's it's sort of debatable in this one on Monday, though, but... Um, in general, I mean, the, the way that he's transformed the team, the the fact that Danny Green has played as well as, as he had, I think for all the people who were super optimistic about um, the Raptors coming into the year, like all of their dreams have sort of come true. Yeah, it's uh, it's been kind of a dream start. And the, the, the starters thing is like the thing that catches me the most because for, for one, this like the, the idea of switching up the starters is like the ultimate deviation away from Dwayne Casey. So... Like, any concerns about, like, Nurse just carrying over Casey's plans or identity or kind of... Those were dumb to begin with, but they've been kind of proven absolutely obsolete early on, which is nice. Um, Why don't all teams shake up their starters? Like, I haven't really thought about this before, and now the Raptors are doing it, and Serge Ibaka and Jonas Valanciunas are both playing some of their best basketball ever, at least with the Raptors, and I, like... Should more teams be doing this? Is this, like, a thing that we're going to see more often if the Raptors have success with this all year? I think if you're really deep, why not? I mean, we yeah. thought, like, the Celtics did this last year. It wasn't as extreme, right? But they did um, start Baines basically when they went up against a team like the Sixers or, you know, the, the Pelicans when Cousins was playing or whatever. Like, they didn't just always have Horford at the five. I think this year it's tougher for them just because they, like, seem to clearly have, like, their five best players now. They have five guys who are um, all sort of hoping to be all-stars, so they, they might not do it anymore. But I think in general... Yeah, if you're lucky enough to have um, two sort of starting caliber players at a position and they do different things, which is what the Raptors have had. And, like, I've been saying Serge Ibaka as a center for, like, three years now. Um, and and that, that's how Nick Nurse sees him. Like, if you have that, then why not adjust it for matchups? I know you're, you're asking a little bit from the players to, to sort of be more adaptable and change up their routines. And I think Ibaka has at least talked about it being an adjustment for him. Um, but I think it serves the player well to put the player in positions where he can succeed. I mean, it, it's it's interesting the way people are talking about Valanciunas this year versus the way they have over the past few seasons. I think last year was a very good year uh, for Valanciunas, but you still always talk about him like, well, like I don't know about like when he plays in the playoffs, like if he's against a guy that can space the floor, like I'm not sure if he's going to survive, or like I don't know if he really fits with the Baca. Maybe they should break up those two, like. You don't have to have those conversations now, really, because he's only playing in situations where he can get by on defense and he can easily take advantage of, like, matchup um, opportunities for him. He can score inside. Like, if he's giving you, like, 18 to 22, like, really awesome minutes, and then everybody's going to have positive things to say about him, um, which is different if he's giving you 29, 30 minutes and, like, 10 of those minutes are troubling and the Raptors are, like, he's getting exploited, you know? So... 
I think even though players might need to sort of see that um, and might not be super excited about having their minutes cut right away, I, I do think around the league, if when, when you find those situations for teams that are fortunate enough to have depth, then yeah, it can work. And, and you might end up seeing more of it. Philly's doing something a little different. Um, they are often starting a different unit in the first half and, and in the second half. Uh, but I think that's more to do specifically with like how they want to develop Markel Fultz than like than anything else. I think that's sort of a unique situation. But who knows? Like maybe we will start seeing more of it um, as the year goes on. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I was on Locked On NBA's Monday episode that's not out just yet, but I was with Josh Lloyd talking about the Raptors. And make sure you listen to that episode, people. Locked On NBA, it's great. Um, But so he asked me why Kyle Lowry is doing what he's doing so far this season. And I have my own theories, but I'm curious what you think and what you're seeing in Kyle and sort of why you think he's been able to be just, like, playing out of his gourd the way he has through six games. <laughs> um, I, I think Kawhi takes a little bit of pressure off him mm-hmm. offensively, but, I mean, even the game that Kawhi missed, like, Lowry was incredible, so I don't, I don't think that tells the whole story. I think some of it is just the style is, like, a perfect fit for who he is. Like... Nurse wants this team to, like, create chaos. He wants this team to play with a lot of aggressiveness on both ends. He wants this team to pressure defensively. He wants this team to be jumping all over loose balls and taking charges and, and, and all this stuff. And it's like, I'm not I'm not saying that Dwayne Casey didn't want that also, but I think there's just an increased emphasis on pace and an increased emphasis on aggressiveness. And everybody knows if you're out there, simply because they have so much depth. If you're fortunate enough to be on the court, you should play as hard as you possibly can. That's always been um, one of Kyle Lowry's best traits, and I think he's just having a really fun time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think his sort of play is reflective of the play of the whole team. And then also the offense. I mean, I I thought he took a little bit of time to adjust to the offense and adjust to his, his sort of smaller minutes last year. But by and large, he was great. And even though his numbers were sort of down, I mean, I wrote a, a sort of feature on him in the second half of the season when I thought he was he was really playing well. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought he had been a little bit underappreciated for, like, the sacrifices he had to make and how he'd fit into this new system where it wasn't just him running pick and roll all the time. And it was a sort of a more equal opportunity offense. I think this year um, he's probably being a little more assertive uh, even, even than he was. Uh, last year, and then I think just because of the the way that the Raptors play, it's all, it's more like like what they they're taking what they did last year to even more extremes. Um, when I, I talked to CJ Miles before the season started, and he was saying that like when the Raptors feel like they're playing really well, it, it feels like organized pickup. Like mm-hmm. it just feels like they're going out there and they're playing basketball. If they see matchup, um, they want to take advantage of. Um, everybody on the floor has the freedom to to be a playmaker. If they see a gap in the defense, and by the way. There are a lot of gaps in the defense because the spacing is incredible now. <laughs> um, then, then you you can take advantage of that. So I just think Kyle Lowry has been put in a position uh, to really succeed. I think he, he's seeing a lot of um, open lanes and opportunities to create. And then you combine that with the fact that I think their sort of general style and disposition is like very much the same as his. I, I think he's just 
in a really good place right now, and he, he has not started to drop off because of his age yet. He came into the season in amazing shape again, like he has in each of the past few years, and I think um, he, he probably knew that some people were expecting him to sort of be pouty and angry and whatever, and maybe on some level he is. I, I don't think he's been super great with the media so far this season. I'm not there, but that, that's what I've heard. Um, but on the court, I mean, I just think he wants to just go out there and kill every single night. Yeah, as it turns out, uh, he's a very good basketball player who I think ultimately cares about winning more than he cares about friendships. And, like, he... That sounds ghoulish, but, like, he's smart. Like, he knows how much of a better player Kawhi Leonard is than DeMar DeRozan. I think if anybody knows that, it's Kyle Lowry because that dude is really freaking smart and knows what the hell is up. Um, Nick Nurse has kind of talked about him feeling the pressure of the defense when he comes across half court this season so far, and that is, like... When you talk about gaps in the defense, I mean, like, just think about all the space that opens up. And then I uh, yeah. I think Nurse is also pretty, like, concertedly trying to make, like, kind of force-feed him the ball a little bit more often. Like, he's talked about at times <laughs> subbing Fred Van Vliet out late in games just because Kyle's playing so well, he wants Kyle to have the ball in his hands. And I think that yeah. was a thing that kind of got lost last year because it was like, okay... Kyle stand up and spot up on the wing, and then Fred and Demar will go to work because Demar is better with the ball in his hands or whatever. And you know you're such a good off-ball threat that you're a nice little decoy to have over there. But like for me, I was frustrated the entire time last season because it's like give the best player the ball and see what he can do. And I think he kind of got this reputation last season as a guy who kind of lost a step and wasn't able to blow by guys anymore. And that's kind of been blown out of the no. water this season. Like he's just cooking dudes yeah. and. I also think, like, it probably helps his assist totals that there's just, like, a million good shooters on the team as well. And you also have, like, Pascal Siakam (laughs) in the paint off of every single rebound ready for an outlet pass because he's so freaking fast. And, like, I think a lot of his assists are just coming super-duper easy within the offense. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but... Kyle Lowry, man. He's so fun. Yeah, I think he's, he's the same guy. It's just the game is coming really easy to him right now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's flip it over to the Bucks. Uh, the Raptors' Monday night opponent. Both teams are 6-0. and Giannis, I'm not sure what's up with Giannis. He apparently got elbowed against the Magic and then doesn't remember the game or something. But apparently it's fine. There's no concussion issues whatsoever. Uh, I have dick finger air quotes going with that because uh, that sounds not great. And the NBA's concussion protocol is kind of ass sometimes. But um, assuming Giannis plays, this should be a fantastic game. And you wrote the piece for CBSSports.com breaking down some of the ways in which the, the Bucks have kind of improved on offense in particular, but before we get to the offensive stuff, I want to talk about defense because, honestly, I'm not entirely shocked that the Bucks' offense is really good. It's almost kind of unsurprising to me because, like, Budenholzer's smart, Giannis is incredible, and it shouldn't have taken someone as good as Bud to unlock the offense, but they're killing it on defense right now, too, and I think they're second right now in the league to Boston, and that was kind of the bigger area of concern for me because... You know, the, the offense was always going to figure itself out if you put shooters around Giannis. Like, that's easy. But the defense they were playing under Jason Kidd was just dumb and, like, gave up a lot of really easy and high-efficiency looks for the other team. And it seemed to be designed to do that for some reason. I don't know why. So for people who haven't really watched the Bucks so far this season, what do you think is sort of the main difference in how they're playing defense under Budenholzer as opposed to how they were under Kidd? It's completely different, and this is not something I, I wrote about in the piece. I like I want to write about that in a separate place, uh, yeah. but uh, it's it's almost as drastic as the offensive transformation, maybe maybe more so. Uh, like they're as you said, they're second in defensive rating. Um, they're they're blowing teams out, and that's not just because of all the three pointers they're shooting. That's like the sort of main thing that people are writing about, but I, I think it's much more than that. Like 
But the fact, like, they were good on defense some nights before because they had all this length and they played super aggressively and they try to trap guys, they try to force turnovers, and they try to get out on the fast break. Mm-hmm. That is not what this team is doing. I mean, if there are fast break opportunities there, like, yeah, you give the ball to Giannis and he goes, but that's not what their defensive game plan is based on at all. They're, what they're doing is they're not fouling, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're dominating the glass and they're just sort of playing solid defense and, and being much more conservative and just much more solid than, than I think they've been for years. It's like they're, they're one of the worst teams in the NBA in terms of forcing turnovers, in terms of getting steals. But like I think that's better than being one of the worst teams in the NBA at rim protection. Mm-hmm. Like last year they were just giving up an absolute shitload of like open layups and open corner threes, which like nobody wants to do in the <laughs> NBA. And that, that's not what they're doing anymore. And I, I think it's just an overall much like smarter, more modern approach. Um, it's... It's just it, it's much more sort of like it like the old way that they played. It was like on the right night they, you'd be like, oh my god, they're overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And you even saw that in the playoffs a couple of years ago at the beginning of that series before the Raptors kind of figured it out. It was like, whoa, they just have arms everywhere. Yeah, right. And like they, they're really making ball handlers uncomfortable. But if you were patient against that, you could get really good shots. And I just think they're they're not allowing those same sort of shots anymore. It, it's much simpler, and you get to see. Giannis, uh, he's still flying around. He's still guarding guys in the perimeter. He's still blocking shots on the inside. He's just such a defensive force, and he can cover so much ground. It's really impressive. Um, but I, I think he's more comfortable. I think he understands his role. Um, and, and I think the guys, like, they're, they're not being asked to do anything more than they can do. Like, Brooke mm-hmm. Lopez is a, a, a dude that's, like, never going to be one of the best defenders in the NBA. But if he's by the basket, he knows how to, like, use his size. He knows how to be in the right position. It's not not totally unlike his brother, although I'd say Robin is a more advanced defender and has always been a better defender than Brooke. Like, Brooke does not have to be a terrible defender if you don't put him in those positions where he can just get blown by. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it would make, like, to me, the second you signed him, it would make no sense to play a super aggressive defensive style. So, so they, they haven't done that. And... Um, I think that's what makes this team so scary. It's like, on offense, as you said, it's pretty obvious. We can talk about, about what they're doing. There's a few things that stood out to me that I wrote about. Um, but on defense is what has made them not just, like, a lot more fun to watch, because I think that's what the offense has done, but like, that's what's made people talk about, like, whoa, like, are they just as good as, like, the Raptors and Celtics? Like, are they better than the Sixers, maybe? Like, these are the questions that, that, that we're asking now. Yeah, for what it's worth, I think they're better than the Sixers, but um, I kind of thought that coming in. I think I picked them to come third, so because the Sixers are weird and have some weird shit going on and some bad juju, but that's besides the point. We're not talking about the Sixers. That's Tuesday night's game, baby. Um, but yeah, like... It's a hell of a back-to-back this week, man. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, the NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Shocker, though, that, like, the defense that doesn't require, like, Thon Maker to have his best career games ever to work uh, is is working for the for the Bucks. It's it's man, Jason Kidd, what a job, dude. <laughs> but so the personnel is better too, though. Right? Yeah, like they yeah. Went, 
like to get Brooke and Ilyasova, like I, I mean, the, all the stuff that we're talking about on offense, it like they'd be probably better than last year, but I they wouldn't be like this, yeah, uh, without those guys. There's definitely a lot less dead weight on the roster this season, which is nice because that was why my one big concern with them. My biggest concern was that there was just like a lot of dudes who did nothing and were making a lot of money to do nothing, and so they kind of cut that fat a little bit. Got rid of Toledovich and stuff like that, or I guess Toledovich was not exactly voluntary, but. Um, to the offense, let's let's get into this. So you talked about three main things here. It was one, just them jacking up a shitload of threes and not caring if they miss. And you use the example from the Sixers game where they went like one of 13 in the first quarter and then were just like, no, we're, we're just going to keep going. And then they did. And then they started to hit a bunch and Brooke Lopez went off. Um, you also talked about Giannis, who's just destroying switches, which is not entirely surprising. And it's actually kind of interesting in regards to the Raptors matchup, because if there's a team that has a bunch of dudes who might make it a little bit difficult for Giannis on switches, that might be the Raptors. And then Chris Middleton's like playing out of his gourd too, and like is is only really the only real change in his game is that he's just like taking a step back on a lot of his shots, and instead of them being yeah. long twos, they're they're threes. So, of these three things, what do you think is sort of the most uh, significant or, or biggest reason for why the Bucks have turned around on offense? Uh, I think I think it's the three point shoot. I mean, it's just, it's a yeah. philosophical shift that that <laughs> Bud has instituted. Um, sort of. Uh, so my colleague Reed Forgrave also wrote on CBS about the Bucks three point shooting, but like that was instead of he he like covered a Bucks game and talked to a bunch of people. Like he did some reporting and. Um, his story, I think, makes it a like, pretty good companion piece to mine because in there you have John Henson saying that over the summer, Bud called him and it was just like, I want you to shoot corner threes. I want you to work on it every day. I want you to do nothing else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, this guy like made maybe one three-pointer in his career up until <laughs> up until now, I, I think. Um, it just was never seen as a floor spacer, not even a reliable mid-range shooter. Um but he is launching them, and it doesn't always look totally natural. But like he's he's made a few of them. He had three point three of them in, in a game the other night. Um, and I think that tells you everything you need to know. Like uh, he just Bud has totally changed the way that they approach offense. Um, spacing is the main concern. Everything that they've do, that they do is about putting Giannis and to a lesser extent Bledsoe and Chris Middleton in position to make plays really easily, to mm-hmm. have lanes, to force the defense to make um, really impossible decisions about what, what they want to do if, if these guys are in a pick and roll or if these guys get a step toward the basket because um, you definitely don't want to let Giannis get in the lane. You also don't want to give up wide-open looks to good three-point shooters. And I, I just I, I think it is it has made all of these guys just it's made the game so much simpler. The formula is so easily understandable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why I wrote about Brooke Lopez in there is like this is a guy that, like for most of his NBA life has been a post up player, uh, has often been the number one option on, on on Nets teams, and he's changed his game over the past few years. It was in Brooklyn where he started um, shooting three pointers uh, and. That, but that was sort of like an ancillary part of his game, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was like I'm going to try to be a more modern player. I'm going to shoot threes. The Bucks brought him in precisely because he shoots threes. If right. he did not, like they would not have signed him. And he knows that his entire job is to be able to space the floor, to be able to hit threes, to be able to keep the defense honest, to be able to drag guys like Joel Embiid uh, last week out to the three point line. So if he starts the game bricking four threes, like 
you could understand if a guy like that in a different system for a different coach with different team would be like, all right, it's not my night. It's time for me to get a look down on the block. Please, like, let me get my rhythm. Let me maybe draw a foul and, and see the ball go through the net on a free throw. Instead, he just keeps firing away. He makes one three at the end of the first, and then he starts the the second quarter. Uh, I think he hit like four in a row. Um, and it was just like, yeah, like that. He like there's no hesitation. There's there's no sort of self doubt. Everybody knows the deal. And I, I think just simplifying that for everyone. Uh, has been such a big part of their success, such a big uh, part of them, like, feeling comfortable. And, you know, it it, it helps that, like, they have been drilling this since, like, training camp or probably even before that for some guys just in terms of understanding the spacing, understanding where the passes are supposed to come from. Like, everybody just gets it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, they're going to break their franchise three-point record, like, a bunch of different times this season. Like, it's just really (laughs) obvious. Like, a lot of guys are, like close to doubling their three-point rate um and yeah and Middleton's interesting in that respect as well because like you said it's not like he added anything over the summer like he was a great three-point shooter anyway or a pretty good one um he just was always more comfortable being a mid-range guy and Bud has just challenged him to be like look like we're gonna give you some post-ups but if you're on the perimeter I don't want you like working your way into the mid-range for a less efficient shot I just want you to launch just take it off the dribble you can make that and Mm -hmm. he's been doing it I remember a few years back, this was, I think, maybe the first Jason Kidd season. I uh, was at a Raptors game, and I think I wrote a piece about it. It was the one where the Raptors won by, like, 48, and Bruno came in. Um, and the Bucks were still kind of sad at that point. Although, I think they made the playoffs that season. But um, I was there. <laughs> yeah, what a goddamn game that was. But I remember taking a screenshot of that game at one point, where all five players were inside the three-point line. And it's uh, that's not the case anymore. I'm actually looking at the screenshot now of what you have here, and everyone's outside of the three point line except for Giannis, who's driving on poor Furkan Korkmaz. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like uh, an unfair matchup that was. And so to the to the switching thing, it stands to reason that a player like player like Giannis will look for mismatches, and pretty much most guys are mismatches for him, right? Like he's gonna blow by most people or just overpower them. Um, are the Bucks like going out of their way to? try to find those mismatches are they doing the thing like what the Raptors used to do where they do like the one-two pick and roll to get Kyle or DeMar and the guy that they want and then you know to look ahead to to Monday's game like how do you think that's going to look against the Raptors where you know the Raptors can throw out OG who did a pretty good job on Giannis last year and they also have Danny Green and uh this guy Kawhi Leonard who's very good at defense (laughs) um like how do you think it's going to manifest itself against the Raptors compared to the teams they've seen so far yeah, I think, well, for one, yes, they are hunting mismatches, and they're doing so aggressively. Uh, at the end of the Knicks game, they just went after Anis Cantor, like, over and over and over again. And a lot of the, the clips in the, in the in my story of Chris Middleton are of him just, like, killing Cantor. That's mean. Uh, like, he, the guy had no chance. Um, so, you know, the thing is, the Raptors don't play any Cantor. So, like, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, if, if JV is in the game, you can try to put him in a pick and roll, but, and, you know, obviously, like, Cert, uh, like if you're Giannis, you'd rather like even get a good defender like Serge matched up against you than somebody like Kawhi, right? So like I, I'm sure they will do their fair share of matchup hunting. Um, but but I think it's just sort of a bigger picture thing about the league. Like as more teams are defaulting to switching, instead of that being like something they do when they're forced to, something they do when their primary pick and roll coverage isn't working, more teams are doing it all the time. Not just off like high pick and rolls, but like away from the ball mm-hmm. and so, some of that thought process is well we don't even want to make our players like 
have to do the like dirty work of trying to fight over screens all the time. It'll actually be more fun for guys to play here if they know they're just going to have to switch everything and, st- and stay in front of people. Um, so, so that's becoming sort of the, the new orthodoxy, right? Like, not every single team is doing this. I don't want to imply that. But if you just compare a couple of years ago to now, like, the, the amount of switching is crazy. And I think as that happens, it becomes more and more important to have guys that are just so good um, mm-hmm. off the dribble that if you give him a mismatch, even a minor mismatch, it's just over. So it's back to the old NBA where you have to think, like, do I just want to throw a double team at him? Yeah. And then, like, what are the, what are the sort of, what's the cost-benefit analysis of doing that? And th- that's what a lot of teams that don't have an army of, like, 6'7 to 6'10 guys who, oh, by the way, happen to be super strong and, and super quick and, like, intelligent defensively have, have to figure out. But the Raptors are lucky enough that they do have that, that small army, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I don't know that they want to switch Danny Green on Giannis all the time, yeah. but I think he can do a decent job of staying in front of him, and he has long arms, right? So it will be interesting to see um, how that plays out in this game. I also just, like, me personally, like, Forget about the switching. Like, I'm just interested in seeing Kawhi guard Giannis. Hell yeah. I, mean, we, I don't think we've seen it in two years, and Giannis um, is better now than he was then, and this is an entirely new system for for Kawhi. And I just, like, to me, like, these, like, depending on how you feel about, you know, Joel Embiid or a couple of other players, like, these two guys are probably the best two players in the Eastern Conference. Um, so I, I'm just psyched about that matchup, too. I don't think it's even a question at this point. Like, they are awesome, and they are... Like, I think it's... For me, the the MVP conversation was always kind of going to come down to these two just because I think the, the, the landscape for, like, an MVP to happen in the East is a lot more... It's, like, an easier path than anyone in the West that we've talked about, whether it's AD or some of these guys who are on, like, two-star teams. Like... If you're if you're the best obvious best player on like a fifty plus win team in the East, like I think that makes you a little bit more of a likely candidate. So I yeah I, I'm super pumped to watch these dudes. It's going to be really fun. Uh, breaking news on the podcast, which is being recorded in the morning. Ty Lue got fired. Yeah, I, I just saw. I tried not to react. But That's I, okay. I while you were talking. We, this doesn't really <laughs> relate to the Raptors very much anymore. But uh, what what the hell? What you don't you don't think the East still goes through Greenland? <laughs> what, about, what about what Tristan Thompson has to say? Oh man, uh, what do you think? I mean, I did like this is I I I was shocked when like McDonough got fired, but like this is like way more shocking than that for me. Like I'm like I want to know the reasoning. I wonder if it's like like honestly, it's weird that my mind goes to like is this like health related or is this performance related? Like yeah. I don't I don't know what what's going on like I, I know he had to take some time away from the team last year um maybe he's just not super down with their rebuilding plan maybe they told him hey we're we're gonna actually go and trade love and corver and whatever and he was like eh, i don't know if that's a good <laughs> idea and they're like well you're fine like i don't know i haven't done any reporting about this i had no inkling that this was coming i i saw this because my wife Becca came up with her phone and put it in my face while you were talking, <laughs> and I made a crazy face and didn't make a sound. Um, I don't know what to think. I I always thought he got kind of an unfair amount of shit for a guy who um, won a playoff series against perhaps the greatest team of all time, mm-hmm. erasing a three-one lead. Like I understand having qualms with him, but the fact that he was able to coach that team to do that, um, the fact that he seemed like honestly like. He, he was unafraid to do things that were that were criticized pretty heavily um, in the playoffs. He was 
maybe ahead the curve as to seeing that like okay if teams are just going to switch all the time like we're just going to play old school matchup basketball yeah. and like when when he had lebron and kyrie he was able to do that um how he's had to play a more sort of movement oriented like um sort of egalitarian offense and it's a lot different and they're just never going to be very good this year like i, I don't like I didn't watch the Cavs this year and think like Tyloo has to go or anything like that. It's just it's just very weird. This smells like uh, Dan Gilbert taking his shit everywhere, mostly. Um, but hey, the Cavs. We don't have to worry about the Cavs anymore. The Raptors have to worry about teams like the Bucks who they're playing on Monday night. Who's uh, the piece about them by James Herbie? You can read on CBSSports.com. James, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. Do you have anything else that you'd like to plug that you're working on or is coming out soon or came out over the last week or so? Uh, yeah, a couple things come out. Uh, I wrote about KD the other night and just sort of his like weird trip to New York culminating in uh, <laughs> 41 points at the Garden with, with fans cheering him and then him being asked like many, many questions about the atmosphere and the fans, which all had the subtext of like, people think you're coming to new york and it was just it was just kind of strange so i i wrote about that i had a a couple of columns last week um at, at something that like led with with trey young uh, but was also a bunch of like early season impressions and i'm gonna have basically throughout the season i'm gonna have sort of a weekly column like that um along with the normal sort of features and things like that that i do cool man uh at outside the nba on twitter you can find me at woodley sean you can find this podcast on itunes stitcher spotify all the regular places We'll be back again on Monday night. I'm probably going to have to do an episode after the Bucks game, which will be fine, but that'll come probably pretty late uh, on Monday night, early Tuesday morning, so stay tuned for that. And a uh, full week of content coming up for you as well on the podcast. And I'll have another Patreon podcast sometime this week, probably Wednesday, I think, is when I'm zeroing in on recording that one. So if you want to check out the uh, deep dives into Raptors' weird history stuff, which I'm sure I'll rope James into doing one of these episodes at some point. Um, you can uh, subscribe at patreon.com slash Sean Woodley Raptors. The first two episodes are one with uh, Kelly Dwyer just previewing the season and talking about Matt Bonner for some reason. And then myself and Joe Wolfond, we dove deep into Mike James from 2005-06. It was a good time. We played the entirety of his rant after going 5 of 25 against the, the Hornets. It was a good time. So if you want, if that's the kind of thing that you're interested in, if you liked my ranking of the all-time Raptors, for example, this is the kind of stuff that I'm going to be doing on the Patreon page. So please check that out. Patreon.com slash Sean Woodley Raptors. That's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will talk to you next time on Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.